0: When God says no. I don't know about you, but I like to hear yes. I like it when I ask a question and the people respond yes. Don't you? Oh, good. <laughs> That's right. And we like that. I don't like to tell other people no. I like to tell people yes. I am Not that I don't want to be manipulated or, or being used, but if someone asks me something, I want to try my best to help solve a problem and help them along. I'm learning in my marriage relationship that sometimes giving an answer is just wise just to stop and listen for a while. But I, uh, you know, I like to say, yes, I like to solve the problems. Morgan and Nikki Backsky are going to be moving in a few weeks time. And they told me they were going to be moving. I said, that's tremendous. Can I help you move? Of course, they said, yes. <laughs> and I thought, what did I just say? Now, why can't I, can I, and I I found out the date they're planning on moving, and I'm trying my best to find an excuse (laughs) to that. But we like to say yes to things. With our children, our children understand the opposite of that. They understand that sometimes real love actually is no rather than yes. My kids, their first words, all three of them, but from infancy, like literally in the hospital still, they were being taught say, "Da,da." And all three of them said, "Dad-da" first before they said, "Mum." And then the second word was very closely followed by the word, "Can you guess it? "No." Children understand that we mistakenly believe that real love is yes all the time, but really, real love can say no. Because I love my children, I'm going to tell them "No." God, because he loves us, says no to us, even though we think we know the right way and we think we know what's going on. We have scriptures in the Bible that say things like in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But the kindest thing often to say is no. No. In our society, in our lives, we're often asked questions that are important questions. And sometimes we have to say the the hard thing of no. But what about when it's God telling us no? When he's the one that comes along and says, no, this is not what I have for your life. Sometimes it's really difficult to accept. But God, I have all these great plans for you. And we do this thing where we say, but God, don't you know? That this is what I'm planning on doing. And God says, no, that's not what I have for you. And we fight against it. We push against it. And we do things in our own strength, and our own power. And then God comes along and says, I've told you that's not the way I want you to go. And we try everything in our own strength. and We come to it to nothing. And we need to stop. And listen to God for a few moments and say, God, what do you have to teach me? What do you have for me that is better than my idea? If you've been asking God to to win the lottery and you say, God, please give me $10 million, I promise I'll tithe. And you've been doing those sort of things along, along and those sort of prayers. And God says, well, that's great. I appreciate that, but I'm not after your money. I'm not interested in your money. I'm after your heart. In your bulletin. Every single week we have a principle. We have the sermon notes inside the bulletin. We also have a principle. And the principle for this week is this. When God says no to my plan, I must seek to understand and accept God's plan. We've been talking through grace over the last number of weeks. And the definition, an easy definition of grace in our lives is God's undeserved favor upon us. God giving us something wonderful that we do not deserve. God's grace, and we can see it in every aspect of our lives if we just stop and seek and learn and listen to God. Even when he tells us no, we can experience God's grace. Let me give you a little bit of background of David, King David. In your Bibles, there are history books. There's 1 and 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. And these are the history books of Israel during the times of the king. If you can guess, there's a guy named Samuel who wrote the book Samuel. And he was a prophet of God. And he was very instrumental in the beginning process of Israel going from being governed only by God and by, by judges in the book of Judges. Then to transition into having kings what would happen is the prophet of God would come under God's direction and put oil on top of a certain person's head, and that would be anointing their head with oil, and it would signify them being set apart by God to be the king. David, was a, as a teenager, was a very courageous young man. He was a young man who was given the, direct, the job of taking care of his father's sheep, and as a shepherd, he fought against and killed lions and bears. And also as a teenager, he went without any armor and just a sling in his hand, killed a giant, eight-foot-tall giant named Goliath, which he's very well known for. He was a man that was anointed as the future king of Israel when the present king was still on the throne. And God used a phrase in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That is like the, the, the key verse for anyone with a low self-image that says, I'm not good-looking enough. God says, I'm not interested in how good-looking you are. I'm interested in your heart. David was a man after God's own heart. And he lived his life that way. As he grew up, he had to run for his life from King Saul. The king tried to kill him. He was honorable all the way through. He eventually became king of Judah, which was one of the tribes of Israel for seven years, and later became the king of all of Israel for another 33 years. So he was king for a total of 40 years. And it was one way to describe David's reign. He was constantly at war. He had internal battles in his own sin. He had battles within his family where his, his sons tried to overtake his own throne. He had battles with people on the outside. But all the way through, he was a man after God's own heart. If you open up, the very middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms. And the Psalms are books that, and you don't have to turn there, but those are, book, those are little songs and poems that were, the majority of them were written by this man David. He was a man that had a tender heart for God. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 7, in the first verse, it says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, David had come to a point in his life when he had fought the battles, he had now had a time of rest, he set up his own palace, and was looking around and saw the fact that he was living very comfortably and very finally i get a bit of peace the previous chapter chapter number 6 we see that the ark of the covenant of god this was a gold covered wooden box about this large with which had a top part on it covered in gold that had two Angels with wings almost touching in the middle. There was You could not touch it. If you did touch it, you would die. Because inside of that, you had the Ten Commandments. You had Aaron's rod, which has a bit of manna from the children of Israel as they traveled around in the wilderness. You had things that were very special to Israel, but also that signified the very presence of God. And for the first time, David had brought that in to Jerusalem. And there was a great celebration. And David had just experienced the greatest worship experience of his life. And it says in chapter 6, verses 12 and 14, David went and brought up the ark of God to the city of David with with rejoicing. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. He had the most incredible worship experience he had ever experienced. He was on a mountaintop experience with God. He was the man after God's own heart that was close to God. He loved God. He knew that God loved him. He knew that God had a purpose for his life. He knew where he was was where God wanted him to be as the king of Israel. And he was seeking to love and to serve God. And David came up after this wonderful time of celebration with a tremendous idea. Go back to chapter 7, verse number 2. He was talking to a man named Nathan. Nathan was another prophet of God. He was a friend and a counselor of David. Verse 2 says, The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar. In other words, I have a really nice house. It's a beautiful house. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, That's a good idea. Basically, David said, I want to build God a temple. I want to build him something worthy of God. My God. I just came off this mountaintop experience and I have a tremendous idea. I want to worship God by building him a temple. And Nathan said in verse 3, he said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. That's a great idea, Nathan said. Then Nathan went home. And he slept on it. And God came and talked to Nathan in the night. I don't believe David had bad ulterior motives. I don't believe it was in any way selfish ambition that he was looking after. He was a man after God's own heart, and he wanted to continue on that worship experience again and again, and he thought, I'm going to build God a temple. In your life, there are a lot of good ideas that are not necessarily God's ideas. You may have a tremendous idea that God says, that's great, but that's not what I have for you. In other words, it's a good idea, but I want the best for you. This is not talking about wealth. This is not talking about a comfortable life. This is talking about fulfilling God's perfect plan for your life. And that's a key. Nowhere in the scripture does it say, serve me and you will live an easy life. Everything will be wonderful. Everything will be so smooth. But it does say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Talking about peace, true joy, fulfillment. Standing before God one day, before him in heaven, and him looking down at you and saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. David had a great motivation. But God said, I don't want you to build a temple. Verses 4 and 5 of that passage. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. And he uses a little of obscure language, but basically he's saying no. Would you build me a house to dwell in? How should you and I respond when God says No. How should you and I respond when you have a great idea, your heart is pure, but God shuts the door on you? When I was being ordained, Caden, my oldest, was six days old. I was going through an ordination service of the church that I worked with in the U.S. at the time. Those of you who don't know me, I actually am Australian. I'm just confused in my accent. I was born astray, I went to a Bible college and worked in a church in the U.S. for a number of years and then came back several years ago. And my, my son was six days old. Tammy bravely came after having a C-section. And part of the ordination process of becoming an ordained minister, ordained pastor, is you go through what they call an interrogation. It sounds really scary and it actually makes you... It does make you nervous. And you sit in a room of other pastors and other church leaders, and they ask you doctrinal questions. Boom, boom, boom. And you spend a good couple of hours being asked doctrinal questions. And if you answer them to their liking, in other words, correctly, and biblically correct, they come before the church and say, based upon our interrogation and our evaluation of, of this life, we recommend that you proceed with the ordination. That's kind of the way it works. And then you have... A service. The pastor who was preaching was a man named Dr. Carter. And Dr. Carter was formerly the vice president of the Bible college that I went to, a family friend of my wife's. And they also had during that service a public interrogation when they asked some general questions. And one of the questions they asked was, Michael, if for some reason we did not approve you today to be a pastor, what would you do? And I answered what I felt was the most spiritual answer to answer. And I said, I'll just keep on going and I'll keep on working and I'll become a pastor. And this man that I very much respect from the pulpit in front of everybody gave me some of the best advice I could have for my life. And I'm going to share it with you now. Are you ready? He said, Michael, if someone comes to you that you respect and they say to you, you should not do something, Rather than saying, I'm going to do it anyway because it's what God wants me to do, maybe you should stop and say, why? I know it's annoying when your kids ask that question, but it's a powerful question to ask. If someone that res- you respect sees something in your life and says, stop, don't do that, or you need to take a different direction, rather than going, I'm not going to listen to you, I'm going to keep on going, stop and ask, why? And it opened up a great deal of opportunity for me as I look at the world. Because oftentimes, I have tremendous ideas that are dumb. (laughs) And maybe you have the same thing. You have good ideas that end up being really, really bad ideas. If you had pushed through, you would have ultimately failed. But because someone cared for you, because God through the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, don't do that, that's a dumb idea. It's a spiritual term. It's found in the Bible. It protects you and also opens up opportunity for service that you would not have otherwise. We're going to look this morning at two different responses that are both positive from David. Different responses that David had when he was when God came to him and told him, no, I do not want you to build me a temple. Imagine the disappointment in David's life. He just come from this mountaintop type experience of worshiping God, Wants it to continue on forever and build God a temple to worship and honor God. And God says, I don't want you to build me a temple. But God, I have a great idea. What did David do? First of all, David's response to no was to listen. In order to understand why God has said no, we actually have to listen to God. Take some time and listen to what he has to tell you. That comes from reading the Bible, first and foremost. That's the source of hearing from God. Indigestion at late at night because of pizza is not necessarily hearing from God. But when God, through the Holy Spirit and through his word, and you read the word of God, and then God prompts you, and and it agrees with scripture, that's where we find our basis for truth from. Not just simply our opinion or because someone else thinks it's a good idea. Because remember Nathan the prophet? He originally said, that's a great idea You should go do that. Here we have this listening. God gave David three things. First of all, we see his affirmation. He didn't come along and say, David, that was a dumb idea. That was my words. That's what, that's what God tells me when I do dumb things. He came along and affirmed David. And he said, I got and put you exactly where I want you to be. Verse 8 Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts I took you from the pasture remember he was a shepherd from following sheep that you should be prince over my, peop- my people Israel I have put you exactly where I want you to be. I've taken you from here and i put you here you are where I want you to be. He was affirming David Rather than coming along and just saying a blunt no, he was coming along and saying, I don't want you to do that. You are where I want you to be. God has a plan for your life and for my life. Sometimes we do need to move. But before we make a move, I believe it's important to stop and ask God, God, where do you want me to go? What direction do you want me to take? Where can I go and you can work in me and through me? And also, I believe it's important with that affirmation, as God did here, recognize where David had come from. He wasn't just king. He used to be a shepherd. He used to be the shepherd in his father's house, the youngest of his father's house. In other words, he wasn't even in the high high point of his father's house. He was the young son. Also, not just God's affirmation. We have God's appointment. And I haven't alliterated everything. That was just a happy coincidence. They're both speaking with A. Because God's appointment is, I've appointed you to something great. Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. You are exactly where I want you to be and I'm going to take you to make you be where I, exactly what I want you to be. Sometimes, In God saying no, it opens up wonderful blessings for us. Sometimes God takes away things from us that we may hold precious so that we can be a blessing totally outside of our control and understanding. The story that I I came across this week, and from what I understand, it's a true story. In the, the U.S., during the Great Depression of the 1930s, a carpenter was building crates in order to fill up with clothing from his church, and they were filling it with clothes to send to China for the orphanage in China. And there was a particular orphanage they were sending it to, and he was, as a carpenter, building the crates for them. At the end of the day, after building and sealing all the crates and then being shipped off, he went home, you know, the typical pat-down, and he couldn't find his brand-new pair of glasses anywhere. They were sitting in his top pocket, and somewhere they had fallen out during the day. He was angry. It was the Great Depression. He didn't have a lot of disposable income. He didn't have enough money at that particular time to go out and buy new glasses. And he was angry. Some of the most unspiritual conversations we have with God are sometimes the most honest. God, I was doing a good thing for you. I was taking my time to build crates for Chinese orphans. And you have taken my glasses from me. And he was angry and he went off and a few years went past went by. And that director of the orphanage from China came back through his church and was presenting on a Sunday evening to the church and made special mention of a particular item that was found amongst all the clothes. And he said, the Chinese soldiers, the the communist soldiers had come through And beaten us. They would taken my glasses and broken my glasses. And there was no way for my glasses to be replaced. And I have really bad eyesight. I needed the glasses. And I couldn't see properly. I was getting headaches. And we opened up these crates. And inside are the exact prescription glasses that I needed in order to see. And he said, church, I don't know what God did for you or to make you put the glasses in. But thank you very much. I needed them. God's appointment isn't always what you and I think of when we think of God's plan for our lives. Sometimes it requires sacrifice and loss to ultimately fulfill God's purpose for our lives. I have no doubt that that carpenter at the end of that time had a big smile on his face and he was joyful to be able to be a blessing through his loss. We have God's affirmation, God's appointment. We also have God's redirection. God comes to David and said, "You, are, I brought you to be exactly where you, I want you to be. I've appointed you to be the king, the who I want you to be. Also, I'm going to direct your ways and direct you the way that you go, so it is the direction I want you to go. God does not call everyone to build temple. Maybe God's no is a redirection and that you need to pursue his will to fulfill his plan. During this next part of this passage, God gives, and we're not going to spend a great deal of time on this, but there's a thing called the Davidic covenant. If you go back to the forefather of Israel, you have a man named Abraham, and God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Your, your offspring are going to be like this." this the sand of the sea and the stars of the heaven, and through you the whole world will be blessed. Talking about the coming Messiah. And then God comes in this time. When he's just told David, no, I don't want you to build a temple for me. I don't want you to worship me in that particular way. He comes along and says to David, David, in fact, verse number 12, 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. His son Solomon, your son's going to build the temple. But it also says this. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Go down to verse number 16. And your house. Your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. If you look at the line and the heritage and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it goes right back to David, the king. In the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus refers to himself as the son of David. What an incredible Privilege and David understood what he was talking. God was talking about here. He knew that not only was the temple going to be built by his son, Solomon. He also knew that through his own bloodline, the Messiah, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ was going to be born. What an incredible privilege. David's response was hopefully what you and I would respond We find out that we have a whole lot more tremendous blessings to to receive rather than just simply our blessing. God came along and said, through your family, the whole world, everyone is going to be blessed because of Jesus Christ. In the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 28, this is nearing the end of David's life. David is reflecting Referring back to this period of time and explaining that God said Solomon was going to build the temple. And he said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house, my courts. And I've chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. Continuing on in that passage into chapter 29 of that passage, David begins preparing. He says, I'm not allowed to build the temple, but God said I can prepare. So what he does, he begins bringing on the side. He puts aside a whole bunch of gold. He uses the terminology of talents. In other words, a whole bunch of gold for overlaying things. He Puts apart silver and iron and wood and all these things aside so that he could have a part in preparing for the temple. David also prepared plans for the temple. God's redirection for you and I in our life Oftentimes, we may not have the pleasure of understanding the rest of the story like David did. We may not have a prophet like Nathan to come along and tell us, I don't want you to do this so explicitly, but I have something better for you. There's a quote by a man named Charles Swindoll. It says this, One of the hardest things to hear is that God is going to use someone else to accomplish something you thought was your objective. That's a hard thing to swallow. David responded correctly when God came to him and, uh, and helped him understand that he had something better for him. He had something that even though the no was a no and was a definitive no, it was, this isn't a no forever. This is a no for you. I have something greater for you. How can we apply that to our lives? How can we stop him for a few moments and, and evaluate the things that we've wanted to do in our lives some of the directions we wanted to go, the jobs we wanted, the careers we wanted, the, the opportunities at university, you know, the, the, the house we wanted to buy. You start listing off some of the things that God seemed to shut the doors on. I am absolutely thrilled to live in Bunbury. I know we have people that are visiting from other places, and Bunbury is the best. I, I love living here. I grew up living in Perth, and I had in my mind for a decade... But for a long time in my life, I've been mulling over and praying about going to the northern part of Perth to start a church. And when it came time to do that, God literally shut the emotional doors for Tammy and myself. And we looked at each other and we thought, this is so weird. We've talked about starting a church in this area for so long, and we just don't feel this is God's will. What is this? Like, God, what have you done? And literally a w- couple of weeks later, we came down and discovered Bunbury because you know that if you live here, that people in Perth don't actually realize that Bunbury exists. Drive around it to get to somewhere else. We discovered Bunbury and we love it here and we're so grateful for God opening up the door for us to move here to start a church so we get to meet you and to serve our community. And I believe that when sometimes when God shuts the door it's to open up something far bigger and greater. But sometimes we start off with the wrong attitude and we rather than listening to the next thing that God has for us, we just spend all our time whining and complaining because God shut a door that he should have opened. He should know better. God's next working in David's life was not just to listen. It was to see David accept that for himself. God, I see what you're doing. I'm accepting the disappointment of the no, and I'm going to move forward to live for you. In verse number 18 of Second Samuel 7, it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus? Far. He basically said, Wow, God, you are talking to me. Who am I in my family? We, I don't deserve to be king. I don't deserve to, be, you be, to have the Messiah living through me in, 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 in my genealogy. I don't deserve any of that. He had to, first of all, stop. The beginning of that verse 18 says, The King David went in and sat before the Lord. Sometimes you and I, need to physically sit down. In our busyness of our lives, we may read our Bible, we put it down after we read the passage, and we move on to the next thing that we have to do in the day, and we don't stop and sit and to contemplate. The Bible uses the word meditate. It's basically, that's not a clearing of your mind and saying um for a long period of time. What that talking about meditation is to stop and to mull it over. I've used this illustration in the past of to munch on it, to chew on it, to get all the flavor out of it. After we've read our Bibles, after God has prompted us or said no to us, we need to spend some time stopping and saying, God, what is it that you have to teach me through this? What is it as I read my Bible that you can teach me today? That stopping may be for a few minutes, it may be for a long period of time, but it's important to and discipline ourselves to, first of all, to accept is to stop. Because the opposite of stopping is simply reacting. When we react to something, our emotions come out. I believe one of the keys to a happy marriage is to stop and to think about your response before you say something. And I was mulling this over this week, and this isn't a public confession. This is just hypothetical. I, I know a certain guy that... Rarely do I say dumb things to my wife when I've stopped and molded over. I still say sometimes dumb things. But you mold it over. Is that a wise thing to say? Is that actually going to help or to hurt this conversation? When you stop for a few moments, rather than simply reacting, we should reflect. What have I known of God in the past? What has God done for me in the past? Has He been faithful to me? Does He love me? Has He sent His Son Jesus to come to earth to die on the cross for my sins? Has He given me new life, not just for now, but for eternity in heaven with Him? What things can we enjoy? What passages of the Bible have jumped out in times of need? And we can go back to those. Favorite passages of the Bible and saying, "This is what the Scriptures taught me," and we can mull it over again and again, remembering what God has done in the past, reflecting upon God's blessings. With those blessings, David did that. In the middle of verse eighteen, he comes with a response and says, "Who am I?" That didn't come as a response, a quick re- uh, reaction response. He had to sit down and mull it over, and he came to the conclusion. Who am I, God, that you would love and care for me? God, in response, the reality check and said, this is reality. Not only should we stop. David gave us the next part, which is exciting part. He turned it into praise. He turned the no into a thank you, God, for what you've done. Continuing on in that passage, verses 20 through through 29. I'm going to read some segments out of that. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you. Verse 25, confirm forever the word that you have spoken. Your name will be magnified forever. Go down to verse 28. O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant. He understood that the direction of God, the know of God, was actually opening himself up to blessing. To illustrate that, you imagine a field covered in landmines that you were crossing for some reason. And a person comes along and says, I know exactly where every landmine is buried. Follow me step for step. So you begin following. No, you go, no, I don't need your help. I can do this myself. I don't need your help crossing this field filled with landmines. I just I'm strong. I can take care of this myself and you refuse the help of that person. The wise person would say, "Show me exactly where I need to step and whatever they step, you make sure that you step exactly where they step, never going off the path at all." To illustrate that with uh, with God. When God says no, we must understand that his direction is blessing. When God says no, when God directs our path through the landmine of this life, there's life is a scary, scary thing to do by ourselves. And God says, let me lead you. Let me guide you. Our natural response is to say, God, I can handle this on my own. David turned that around and said, I totally 100% needs you there is no god like you show me everywhere i should go every step i should take we also need to look for god's plan going to another book which is a parallel passage in first chronicles chapter number 28 and verse 8 this is nearing the end of david's life and he's looking back upon this time in his life and the direction that it led him he says, now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, the hearing of our God. He's challenging all the nation of Israel to do this. Observe and seek out all the commands of the Lord your God. He says there to observe and to seek out. He says that you may possess good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children. After you forever. He uses two phrases to observe. And to seek out to observe is to follow to do the things that God has told you to do and to seek them out is to look for them. And the beauty here is David at the end of his life is reflecting upon a decision that he made years earlier and saying this is exactly what I've done. This is what I've found to be successful in my walk with God is I need to stop and I need to praise God because then I can look and discover his plan. When God says no, it means that he has something better. That doesn't mean that you're going to be richer. That doesn't mean it's going to be easier. It means it's going to be better for your your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he expects, let me say that word again, he expects you and I to support the better rather than thinking we're going to do life on our own. If you look back on the law of God, we're no longer required to follow the Old Testament law, but I believe the principles found in the 10 commandments are things that we should live our lives by. Things like God saying no murder, no stealing, no adultery. You know, you begin listing off the things that God has said no to. We go, but God, I really want to steal. <laughs> and I know sometimes you probably really want to murder is that God says no to those things that are actually for your benefit and for my benefit. God's direction in our life is ultimately for our good, not for our harm. And when God comes along in your life, maybe this week, He's already working on areas that you said, I wanted to do this, God. Why are you shutting the door? And you've been pushing against and pushing against it. You can live in the wonderful grace of God and saying, God, your mercies and your grace are exactly what I need. I can no longer, I no longer need to do this by myself. I'm going to allow you to work in me to ultimately work through me. Can you relate to David? I'm going to close with two questions this morning. The two questions are this. What's preventing you from living God's best? Is there something in mind that just jumped into your mind just then? Or as you stop and reflect this week, I want you to mull that over. Is there something stopping you from living God's best? Is there a sin in your life that you need to confess? Is there a direction that you've been pushing towards that is obviously got not God's way for you, and he's been telling you no, 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 but society's been telling you yes, but you need to go back and... Re- Look back and and stop and say, allow God to work in your life. What's preventing you from living for God? The second question is, will you commit to praise God when he says no? Rather than using it as a time of grief, use it as a time of joy and saying, thank you, God, for loving me enough to, first of all, speak to me and give me direction. And secondly, not only has he given you direction, I know that by God saying no to something, it's going to open me up for something of God's best. And we can turn that into praise.